man, isn't this an awesome problem to have? Like there's no place to stand up here. We're gonna need a bigger stage, right? This is awesome. Thank you all for coming this morning. If you need an agent, I'm available. All right. Well, again, my name is Pastor Bill, and I want to welcome you to WordServe. We are in the, just started a new sermon series last week, and that sermon series is called DNA. So the DNA is the core of the local church. It's how we are made up in Christ Jesus. So what we did last week is we talked about mission. This week we're talking about values, and then we'll follow vision and strategy. But today is all about values. And I want to tell you that values is one of the most important things that we can cling to as Jesus followers. And I hope by the time I'm done talking, you'll agree with me. If not, let me know what you think. So let me ask, uh, start by asking a question. How do you know what it is that a person values? Oh, I should warn the newcomers. I don't like to talk at you. I like to talk with you. So this is audience participation. How often do you get to do this in church? This is audience participation time. How do you know what a person values? What would give it away? Where they spend their time. How, what's that? Oh, what they do. I thought you said, how do you do? <laughs> where, where they spend their money. Yeah. What they, talk about. what they talk about. Good. Man, you guys, did you guys look at my notes? Because I could just say, man, we could all go home now. Is that good? No? <laughs> okay. Yeah, so, so you might know about a person's values by what they do, how they spend their time. In fact, it's been said, if you show me your checkbook, and your bank statement, I'll tell you what your values are. That's really what it's all about. Now, it's not the values that we talk about, because if you know, I was going online and say, well, what do people value these days? And you get these laundry lists. I value honesty, integrity, trustworthiness. See, and there's, there's about 32 characteristic traits. And if you have 32 things that you're pursuing, and let me just ask you, how successful are you going to be in pursuing those 32 things? Probably not. But here's some really great news for you today. And, and I didn't do this. Jesus did this for us. All we have to do as Jesus followers is one thing. Anybody remember the movie City Slickers? One thing. That's what we're going to be about today. One value. We're going to simplify our lives incredibly. We're going to take all the stuff that society tells us we should be doing, and we're going to do one thing, and it's going to change our world and the world around us. If not, your money back. How about that? All right. Or 30 minutes, the next one's free. I don't know. Whichever works. All right. So uh, one of the things I, that, it strikes, that strikes me about values is values should be said, but values should also be seen. Let me say that again. Values should be said, but values should be seen. In other words, what we value should come out in the way that we live our lives. People should be able to observe us with our time and our money and where we do and say, oh, this is what they value. One of the best studies that I've seen in value comes from this story. Who knows who this is? Ebenezer Scrooge, right? So when the, when the scene opens, and this is his partner Marley there, sort of semi-pseudo Marley in the chains there, uh, the chains that weighed him down in life, because what was Marley's primary value? Money, 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 and that was Scrooge's value. Did it affect the way Scrooge lived? Absolutely. Was Scrooge the same person at the start of the story that he was at the end of the story? No. What changed? His values, right? There was these, you know, three ghosts of past, present, future, all that stuff. Yeah, but at the end of the day, what really changed was where did he place his value? And when he stopped looking at the material things, when he stopped looking at the money and he started looking at people, that's when Scrooge changed. Now, Scrooge was not the person that he was at the start of the story. And here's the good news for us. We don't have to be either. 
We don't have to be the same person that, the way that Jesus found us. We could be transformed. And there's one thing, back to my curly impersonation, that we're going to do to do that. Bet you can't guess what it is. But let me ask you this. What is it that you value? Now, this is a good time to ask yourself, what do I spend my money on? What do I spend my time on? What is it that makes up my lifestyle? And then here's the true question, and this is, this is the moment where your heart's going to skip and the hairs might stand up on the back of your neck. I want you to take your list of what you value. I want you to compare it to what this guy values. And I'm going to ask this one question. Are they the same? I have a sharp intake of breath because, you know, if I'm honest, not all my values are exactly the same as Jesus's. Now, I don't know about you, but if I'm going to be a Jesus follower, which a disciple of Christ, I'm going to become more like Jesus, then my values should be his values. And wherever they're not, well, that's, that's where I need to work a little bit. Wherever they are, that's what I need to reinforce a little bit. So when you look at the life of Jesus, we get a very clear indication of what values look like. That's one of the reasons I'm so grateful for Jesus. You get the law, you get the scripture, you get the Old Testament, you get the Ten Commandments, but it takes Jesus coming down and living the law for us to see, oh, that's how it's done. That's what values mean. So uh, the value that we're going to talk about today comes out of uh, actually 1 Corinthians. Paul is going to talk about this. But uh, Paul is a perfect example, you know, to talk about your Scrooge. <clears throat> when the story opens for Paul, his name isn't Paul. His name is Saul. Uh, he's a grumpy individual. He's got an agenda. He is actually the guy who holds the coats of the people who stone Stephen to death, the first Christian martyr. So if you read that passage carefully where Stephen gets stoned, guess who's holding everybody's cloak? Yeah, go at it, boys. Knock that guy out. It's Saul. But Saul has an experience. Saul's values change, and Saul gets it. So in 1 Corinthians 13, verses 1 through 3, uh, I want you to listen for what is that one value that should stand out above all. Here's what it says. And yet I will show you the most excellent way. If I speak in human or angelic tongues but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor, give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. These are the words of God for the people of God, and for these words we are grateful. Did you catch what the one value is? What is it? Love. All we need is love, as the Beatles said, right? So why don't we love like Jesus? Well, there's probably a lot of reasons, but my first contention is maybe we don't know exactly what Jesus' love is. We get confused with messages from our culture, from our society. This is what love means. So today we're going to look at what love is not, and then we're going to look at what love is, and then we're going to learn to love like Jesus. That's the bottom line of the day. What love is not? The first thing that love is not is not self-serving. Look at the life of Jesus. Look at the cross, and you know that love is not self-serving if it's Jesus' love. Now, the fascinating thing to me about the cross is Jesus didn't have to do that. He's the only one who never sinned. He's the only one who owed nothing and yet paid everything. Why would he do that? Here's another fascinating thing. Think back to a few weeks ago when we talked about the temptation in the wilderness. 
What was the very first temptation that came Jesus' way? Hey, if you're the son of God, I know you're hungry. Why don't you make those stones into bread? Did Jesus serve himself? No, that was the test. That was God's test. So sometimes when things come along our way and we stand up to that, it's in preparation maybe for something bigger. And there's nothing bigger than the cross. I mean, if you were pinning all your hopes on your son to go to the cross, wouldn't you want to know that he was going to go through with that and not be self-serving? I'd want to know that. It's kind of a big deal, the cross. He never failed, never served himself. And when you look at Paul's language, when it says, without love, I am nothing, I gain nothing, I wonder if that's why Jesus later says, apart from me, you can do nothing. Jesus embodies love. Jesus is love. But it's Jesus' kind of love that we need to experiment and explore. So the, the second thing that love is not, that Jesus' love is not, is is not enabling. Who did Jesus hang out with when he came to this, to this earth in physical form? Well, basically everybody, right? But you know, of course he hung out with the disciples. He spent a lot of time with them. But who else did he hang out with? Tax collectors, sinners, uh, the list goes on. Now, I can, you know, there's no recording of what those meetings went like, but I can't imagine this being the Jesus meeting with the tax collectors and sinners. Hey, guys, I just wanted to come encourage you. You're doing a great job. You be you. Keep up the good work. I'm out. Right? No, no, he came and he offered them something better. He called them up out of a lifestyle that was not in alignment with God's values. That's that kind of love. It does not enable. It does not excuse. It calls us to something higher. But as we're going to learn a bit later, there's a trick to this. There's a way to do this because you can, you can do it right and you can do it not so right. But the bottom line is this love does not enable. Let me tell you one quick story. I wish this were not a true story, but it is a true story. This is a story of a mother's love. Mother had a son. The son had a wife and two kids. The son became addicted to drugs. The son began to run into money problems because if anybody knows anything about addiction, you will do anything. You will <laughs> take cash from anywhere. You'll sell stock. You'll sell jewelry. You'll do whatever you need to get that money for that next fix. And so they were little cash strapped. The mom was in real estate. And so she was able to find a house for them to live in that was cheaper. So they saved some money. Good news, right? That's what a loving mother would do. Except once they started saving money, he had more money for drugs. Well, pretty soon that ran dry too. So he had to do something to keep that fix going. So he began to deal drugs. Now, in case you're wondering, this is not in the Houston area. You're all safe. <laughs> but he began to deal drugs. And it was at this time his wife said uh, there were some things that happened at their residence, <clears throat> people who were trying to get their, their fix from his now dealing. And his wife said to him, you've either got to stop this lifestyle or I'm taking the kids and we're leaving. Well, he couldn't stop, and so she left. Well, the mom was seeing that there was all kinds of problems, and she did what any loving mom would do. She tried to take care of her son by giving him money so he could pay the rent, which gave him more money to do what? Buy drugs, right? I wish this story had a happy ending. It does not. I wish I could say that there was a transformative element where this guy said, you know what, this is dumb. I'm going to change my life. I've got Jesus. The family gets back together. That's not what happened. Uh, what really happened was they found him on the floor dead of an overdose. 
It's like, Bill, I thought this was supposed to be encouraging and uplifting. It's not the end end of the story, but it is a very blatant warning that love does not enable, love does not excuse, love calls us to something greater. And so now there's a, a, a young mother with two kids trying to figure out how to get through life and a mother that's grieving because of poor values. That's how important values are. Values don't just come off our tongue. Values don't hang on a plaque on the wall. Values are our lifestyle. And our lifestyle affects other people. I guarantee you this guy did not set out to go, let's see, how can I totally disappoint my mom and leave my wife and kids helpless? That was not his goal, but that's where his values led him. Love does not enable. Love calls us to something higher. So <clears throat> with all that good news, then what is love, Bill? Let's get to the good stuff. All right, here it is. Love is selfless. Again, look at the cross. Jesus demonstrates this perfectly. In fact, if you're a Jesus follower, he invites you to that same journey. What does he say? Pick up your cross daily and follow me. Anybody again? Yeah, that sounds great when you read it. Now try living it. I, I wish I could say I do this perfectly every time. I do not. And if, <clears throat> if anybody knows me, you know that I don't. But here's the thing. I'm committed to do the best I can. And when I stumble, he picks me back up and puts me on the path. So love is selfless. Love is proactive. Did Jesus wait for us to get our act together to come to earth? Did Jesus wait for us to go, are you going to accept this gift if I go to the cross? Because if I die, it's going to really hurt. So I just want to know if you're in. No, he doesn't wait. This love of Jesus does not wait. This love is proactive. This love is offered in advance of any other thing. It's not like Jesus is waiting for us to get our act together. So what does that tell me about my brothers and sisters? Am I waiting for them to get my, their act together before I show them Jesus' love? If I'm honest with you, sometimes I do. Or the transactional type of love. It's the if-then love. If you'll do this, then I'll love you. But if you don't, I don't love you anymore. Did Jesus ever say that? No. But if I'm going to be a Jesus follower, I have to get rid of transactional love. I can't have an if-then in my love equation. It's just got to be I love you like Jesus loves you. Now, that's not enabling love. That's love that has more to it. And what does it have more to it? It has truth. <laughs> this is the love that doesn't enable. This love will speak the truth. What if? If I had been a little smarter in that situation. And by the way, I should tell you that I was a student minister going through seminary when I encountered that situation. You think seminary prepared me for that? <laughs> I was like, dude, isn't there a grace clause? Shouldn't I like ramp up to this kind of stuff? And I beat myself up all the time. I thought, man, what if I had just spoken truth to this guy? Like, hey, is this the path that you really want to go down? This, these decisions that you're making that are about to impact your family in a terrible way? Everybody sees it coming but you. Let me just point this out. In truth, what you're doing is not good. But I'm going to do it with grace. See, and that's where we forget sometimes, especially if we're, we're really on fire to follow Jesus and we want people to know the truth. Man, we'll lay it out there. Hey, man, what you're doing is wrong. Boom. Where's the grace? Because if I'm honest, uh, I have the same problems. Maybe not the, the identical problems, but I have the same issues. I struggle. And I hope to God that if you see me doing something wrong, that you would speak some truth into my life. 
Now, I'd love it if you'd season that with a little grace, but I'll take it any way I can get it. But so often, if you look at the encounters of Jesus, he speaks truth into lives. He speaks truth into the woman at the well in Samaria. Yeah, what you're pursuing is not making you happy. This is your fifth husband. He doesn't say, you're a terrible human being. Don't ever talk to me again. He says, uh, go and, and uh, tell everybody what you've seen here. And that Samaritan woman, who was living uh, uh, definitely not Jesus' values, becomes one of his greatest evangelists in that community. See, that's the power of truth plus grace. That's the transformative power of Jesus' love. That's what Jesus' love is. And finally, his love is fueled by compassion. Sometimes we want to lay that truth down for revenge. Like, oh yeah, you call me out one day, I'm just waiting for the time I can call you out. Does anybody else think that, or is it just my sick little mind? Is it? No, okay, it's just me. <laughs> Next example, Bill. All right. Or we, we say, like, I am, I, you know, I'm, I'm all that. I'm a Jesus follower and you're not. So I'm going to point out every single thing that you did wrong. In fact, I'm going to point out 32 things that you're doing wrong because now I'm 32 points ahead if I'm keeping score. How's that going to work out? All that person feels is overwhelmed, shamed. They don't see any way out. They don't see any step up. They don't see any hope. They just see judgment. Where's the grace? Jesus' love is fueled by compassion. How do I know this? Well, uh, because he says so. Look at this in Matthew chapter 9, 35 through 38. This is Jesus when he was still physically present. He went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, healing every disease and sickness. Look for the motive. Look for the value here. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus' love is fueled by compassion. And if our motive for sharing the good news, if our motive for following Jesus is anything other than compassion, then we've missed the mark. Our values are misaligned. Can we follow Jesus and not be fueled by compassion? Yeah, you see it all the time. You see it, uh, I'm not, not going to try to stereotype, but you know what I'm talking about, the Bible thumpers. Like a seminary professor of mine said, this makes an excellent sword, but a terrible club, right? The ones that will hold it over people's head, one that will live in judgment and say, man, I'm glad I'm not that person. Really? Have you looked in the mirror? Because <laughs> I'm just saying. Folks, we all have blind spots. That's why they call them blind spots. The one thing I always tell my staff is, I have blind spots. I hope that's not news to you. I'm relying on you to look at my blind spots and tell me what you see. I'd rather hear it from you than not hear it from the rest of you. How many pastors have you seen that have, uh, what's the term, fallen from grace, right? Nobody called them on their blind spot. Nobody let them know that what they were doing was not in line with Jesus' values. And so what's the, the consequence for a, a community of believers? Well, nobody else is going to do it either. They're just going to check out. They're going to vote with their feet. And so pretty soon, people just start disappearing and never know why until finally that final crumble comes down. I don't want to be that guy. So I'm relying on you. That's what I'm telling you right now. 
You can speak to me with truth and grace. I need you to cover my blind spots. <laughs> and they are legion. I have many. I need help. But uh, I, I think what I'm trying to say is I'm not alone in this. We all need help. We all have blind spots. And if we will speak truth and grace, we will see a vision. And now I'm getting ahead of myself. Vision is next week. But we'll see a vision worth living for. A vision that can change this world. It's fueled by compassion. Now look at what Jesus does here. He's fueled by compassion. He's going out and he's doing all these things. But remember what we talked about last week? What was the topic last week? Oh, I didn't know there was going to be a test. Mission. What's our mission? Doom. Our mission is to make disciples. So watch this. Watch how values come together with making of the mission because this is the very next verse. Remember, read the Bible in circles a little bit before and a little bit after. The very next verse after this value comes this. Jesus is still talking. He said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers in his field. Doesn't that sound like a mission? Do you see how values and mission tie together? What's our mission? What's our value? Love, like Jesus. I'll throw that in there. Because love is a pretty broad term in today's society. Our mission is to make disciples. Why? Because we want a cult? No. But because people who follow Jesus genuinely are some of the greatest people I know. They're the ones that make a difference. They're the ones that lift up. They're the ones that build. They're the ones that encourage. They're the ones that heal. They're not the ones that steal, kill, and destroy. They, they belong to someone else. So as we look at forming our community, and that can start with an individual, that can start with your family, that can start with your workplace, your school, whatever part of organization that you're a part of, sports teams, you can be the instigator for a culture that builds, encourages, and lifts up. Or we can be part of the other camp and steal and kill and destroy. Which world do you want to live in? Your values will determine where you live and how you live. That's how important values are. So the lesson learned is love, like Jesus. The second lesson learned is love, like Jesus. I told you, it's one thing. This is it. Now, it sounds super simple. That's all I'm asking you to do. Love like Jesus. Well, how do I know? How to love like Jesus? Well, I don't know. Maybe study his life. Look at the way he interacts with people. Look at not just what Jesus does, but how Jesus does. Don't look at just how Jesus does. Look at why Jesus does. You see what I'm getting at? There are layers to this man's life. It's not just a, bio a biography that we read and go, oh, he was born on this day. He lived 33 years. He died on a cross. Isn't that a wonderful story? That's not what makes this the greatest story ever told. What makes this the greatest story ever told is the how and the why. And those are things that we don't get at on the first pass of reading. These are things that we get at in things like uh, community groups. These are things that we get at in things like immerse Bible study. These are things that we get at with much meditation and contemplation, conversations with each other, attempts to live this out. And, and lest you think that you have to have a standard of perfection to live this out, I assure you, you do not. That There's only one that has attained that in the history of all of this. And unless your name is Jesus Christ, you're off the hook. 
Now, it doesn't mean that we purposely go make mistakes. That's a crime. But if we have accidents, if we have shortfalls, Jesus has us covered. That's the grace part of the truth. That's my encouragement to us, the community that we build, the type of people that we want to be, the value that we live will shape the culture around us. I promise you. Now, lest you also feel some pressure, like I have to recruit everyone I meet, I must convert. I must get them to a decision. Not even Jesus did that. You can read in John chapter 6, where Jesus lays down some hard truth with grace. And right there in John 6, you will see, hey, this is a hard teaching. Who can follow it? And the Bible says many of the followers turned away from Jesus that day. Folks, at, at WordServe, we believe in the preaching and teaching of the word and the serving of the world. And we believe that those two go together so much so that we never separate those two words, word and serve. The other thing that we believe is in truth, with grace. We value love like Jesus. So should we speak truth? Yes. Should we speak it in grace? Absolutely. That's the value that we should live. So here's the thing that, that I, I want to end with. If Dickens, Charles Dickens, a fictional author, can paint such a fantastic story of transformation because of a change in values. How much more so could the author of salvation paint a story in our lives as we are transformed by living his value? Or serve all we have to do is love like Jesus. Will you pray with me, please? God, we thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, who came to live out the law, who came to show us by his example how we should live. Yeah, we fully recognize that we're not capable of being your son, Jesus Christ. We live in a fallen world and we are fallen people, but God, put in us a desire to be more like him. Put in us your spirit that reminds us, that teaches us of everything that he said. Help us to pause and take time out of our schedule, make it a priority to live this value, to learn to love like Jesus. Help us to understand how he did things, why he did things. Help us to be fueled by the same compassion that looks out into a crowd and says, I feel compassion because they are like sheep without a shepherd. God, at the same time, prevent us from becoming self-righteous. Help us to understand this is nothing that we've done on our own accord. There's nothing that we can do of our own accord that makes us a child of God. That's what your son Jesus did on the cross. And God, for that, we'll be forever and eternally grateful. I don't understand why you would invite me into your family, but I'm sure grateful that you do. So God, put that on our hearts. Help us to experience that this morning and help us to rejoice that not only are we a child of God, but we have something to offer this world as we make disciples and learn to love like Jesus. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.